When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello and welcome to The Price of Football, the show that looks at the money behind the beautiful game with me, Kevin Day, and Liverpool University's Kieran Maguire. Kieran, how are you this this bright pre-Christmas morning? I'm all good. Uh, working, working myself up in terms of anxiety and excitement about the match uh, on Thursday night, as, as I imagine you will be doing so as well. Uh, all, all of my mates, and I've got quite a few Palace mates as well, we say, yeah, we take 1-1 one, one now, as long as we don't lose, that's all that matters. So it's not about winning, it's about not losing. I, I'm, I'm glad you mentioned the word excitement there, Kieran, because all we've got is anxiety. Uh, <laughs> mainly about the fact that Steve Cooper probably going to be our next manager, according to uh, pub experts all over South London. Uh, I like the fact that already people on my WhatsApp group are planning their response in case Steve Cooper does become manager. Because rather than wait to see what happens, they're like, right, this is if this happens, this is how we're gonna, this is how unhappy we're gonna be on a scale of one to ten. Um, it's Newsday, Kieran. We have a lot of news to get through. Um, not much of it is good, unfortunately. <laughs> um, we should start as Kieran by saying um, a big hello, thank you to. All those patrons who took part in our Christmas quiz this week, much much fun was had by all. Um, uh, some of it at the expense of your Christmas jumper, Kieran, which was spectacular. A spectacular <laughs> dad's Christmas jumper. The sort of Christmas jumper that a dad would insist on wearing all the way through Christmas Day whilst keeping his paper hat on and carving anything that comes within three metres of him. <laughs> you've, you've got my playbook sorted. Oh, that's that's, how, I, that's ah. how next Monday's going to be. <laughs> That's why Finley keeps well clear of you at Christmas. I'm missing a leg. Uh, our, our first story, Kieran, concerns your 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 favourite people. Those uh, it's a, it's a season of goodwill, Kieran. So perhaps we could bear that in mind when we're talking about FIFA's plans for the Club World Cup. Well, I think it's fantastic news. Um, yeah, the one thing which we all say during June and July, um, it's not enough club football. You know, I, I want to see the best players. I want to see the best players who uh, are knackered uh, in a 32 club tournament. And by golly, FIFA have come and delivered. So um, it's going to take 29 days for the matches. So FIFA saying that they've taken into consideration player welfare by making sure that they don't have to go and play more often than once every three days. Yeah. So- <laughs> Finley doesn't believe. Finley doesn't believe that. 
<laughs> Actually, hold on a second. I'll go and get the. Oh, sorry, get the, the Baroness has come to the door. A little insight. That's it. That's um, that's that's dog speak for the thief or a talking bollocks. Is that that's what that is? And, I know enough. To... And, and like a postman, he wears shorts. It's, of course uh, it's, he does. It's it's five days before Christmas, and he's still in shorts, which is which is the of way course. it should be done. It's pro- proper posty is. Um, so there is going to be um, this this tournament taking place. My my concerns, yeah, setting aside from the fact that the only reason why this is taking place is because of money, because uh, Manchester City beat somebody Reds, somebody Diamonds, Red Diamonds, yeah, whatever, um, yeah, three nil, fair play to them, uh, the better team. Um, if it's if it's going to be thirty two teams, at least when we look at the World Cup from a national perspective, there is the belief that you know teams from Africa, teams from Asia, um, teams from South America all have a chance of making decent progress. But all of the players tend to play in Europe. So are we going to have a 32-team competition where the, all of the semi-finalists are going to be from Europe or you know the vast majority of the clubs in, in the last... Uh, in the quarterfinals, uh, and and if so, <clears throat> you know what, what's the point? Because I don't think there's a, there's there's not a lot of interest from European fans in the main. Bernardo Silva has come out and said, "Look, you know, you, you're trying to flog a dead horse here. You know, we we are living on dregs." You, you go back to the Champions League final, which Manchester City won. Um, it was crap. In fact. The vast majority of Champions League finals are pretty crap because players are playing too many games and so on. And we, we have some amazing athletes in the game and you want to see them playing at a peak. And that's simply not happening. Manchester City, you know, that they've they've had to go and rearrange some fixtures domestically because they're playing in the, the FIFA World Club Championship. And, you know, is this part of us being too parochial? Are we being little Englanders in terms of our approach? You know, I, I, I love the FIFA World Cup because it's, it's a chance to see players from different you know, cultures, different countries. There's the kits, there's collecting the Panini cards, there's watching matches, you know, three or four matches. We absolutely love it. So it's, it's not coming from a xenophobic perspective. It's yeah. I think even for, for people like us who who live and breathe football, there is overload, and it's squeezing out other sports. It's squeezing out um, the opportunities to do other things as well. And I, I just just don't see the benefits apart from the fact that FIFA lose money three years out of every four. They they are jealous of the success of UEFA in terms of the Champions League and European football. And they want a slice of that particular pie. So it is being driven from or through a financial lens. Um, Martin Samuel has an article in the Times on Wednesday saying, yeah, sorry, Bernardo Silva, the, the game is now being run by accountants. And, and I don't think, I think that's, I don't agree with that. It's being run by people who want money. Accountants are just the people that count how much money they're making. Um, so... It's we, we we will wait and see. Could it be we'll be saying you know in in ten years time? Well, you know the the, the interest has gone through the roof. Will I be watching it? 
Okay, the answer is probably, you know, uh, not necessarily all of the games. You know, whereas in the FIFA National World Cup, if it's if it's Belgium versus Morocco, wow, it's Belgium versus Morocco. I've got, I've got to be watching it. You know, yeah, and, yeah, of and, course. Um, I, I just can't see myself having the the same degree of enthusiasm um, for for a competition which which you know is purely there from financial reasons. You know, the World Cup originally was was done for egalitarian reasons to to, to try to identify the best nation playing football on the planet, and and this is this is this is completely different. I mean, talking of player fatigue, the, the very first thing Pep Guardiola said um, to BT Sport after that Champions League final, using colourful language that I won't repeat here, was that his players were exhausted and they, they're playing too many games of football, so he won't be happy. But just from the financial point of view, Kieran, the first question, are all the clubs taking part in this World Cup of clubs going to be paid the same money for participating. And secondly, from the perspective of the English clubs, I can't imagine they'll be particularly happy because this is taking place when they should be doing their lucrative Far Eastern tours. So if they're losing money out of it, they'll be particularly unhappy, won't they? Yes, I mean, it, it, there will be a fixed participation fee. And, and again, for you know, we, we try to hold FIFA to account, but they do pay as far as the... The International World Cup is concerned. You know, it's it's a flat participation fee, regardless regardless of where you're seeded. Um, so that will be the case. But clearly, as clubs progress through the tournament, there will be tiered rewards. Um, whether that will exceed the, whether that will effectively you know, outweigh the opportunity costs of the the preseason tours, the opportunity for clubs to be signing deals and so on, uh, we're not sure. Um, What's going to happen in terms of domestic leagues, and people will say, "Well, hold on, you know, this could be an opportunity if, if the if the start of the Premier League season is put back three weeks. This gives an opportunity for, for EFL to take you know centre stage. It gives an opportunity for for non-league to get more attention and so on. So we will we will have to wait and see um, where that will leave the the end of that season. Whether that gets pushed back as well um, is open to debate." I think it will put further pressure on uh, the the diminishing of the FA Cup and the potential abolition um, of the the Carabao Cup or its equivalent, or perhaps some. It could be that some clubs no longer have to you know uh, apply for membership of that competition, which which devalues it um, un- unless it you know, continues to have a uh, a European place as, as a reward. And what about broadcasting, Kieran? Will this fall under the remit of existing broadcasting deals or will there have to be a completely separate broadcast deal for this? Because I'm, I'm not entirely sure how interested broadcasters might be with this midsummer tournament against a lot of teams that our, our English, their, or their English viewers may not have heard of. Well, it, it won't be on the sort of you know, the golden list, so therefore it, it won't have to be made available free to air. Um, as as we currently have, Manchester City's match last night uh, took place on TNT. So, it, you know, one of, for for one of the broadcasters, there are still benefits. It, it's still going to be. We know we know that Chelsea and Manchester City are both going to be competing because four of the clubs are the ones that have won the Champions League in the proceed in, in effectively the the four year period to which the competition relates. So 
we're going to have a couple of Premier League teams. The others will be done on some form of seeding or merit basis, which could be linked to UEFA, um, the UEFA tables. So I think there'll be, there, there will be interest from broadcasters because, um, you know, otherwise you end up watching things like Water Sports World, which apparently is to do with power boating and it, it doesn't uh, it doesn't attract a big audience or attracts an family audience show. people go oh that sounds interesting I'll watch it just once family show Kieran family show it it turned out as well um, <laughs> although it turns out we had a, a younger person shall we say who was part of the winning team Richard Nurse who won and he had his young son with him uh who also clearly enjoyed your spectacularly rude question. One of of your spectacular, he thought Christmas had come early. So um, we'll move on from Water Sports World. (laughs) I I would suggest at this moment to all our listeners, and there are many of them who get angry about agents' fees, um, for this next bit of news, I I suggest they grip a table or get a bit of carpet and put it between their teeth because this this news is going to make them even more angry, Kieran, isn't it? Um. Yes, it will. And I don't quite understand why football agents have become the pantomime villains of the sport. Um, There was a record £702 million spent on agents' fees in 2023. And this just relates to international transfers. So domestic transfers is separate. So this is is data which has been put together by uh, FIFA itself. Now, why is that the case? Well, the Premier League is is the biggest fish in that particular pond. Uh, around about a third of the money was spent by Premier League clubs. It's a substantial increase on the previous year. Um, many countries are still in, in a COVID recovery position, which is why I think the Premier League is, is in such a dominant position. Number two, we'll come, I don't think it will come as any surprise, was, was the Saudi Pro League. That doesn't doesn't tend to be a lot of domestic transfers, um, so a lot of recruitment there, and that was around about um, sixty million compared to well over you know, two hundred by by the Premier League itself. The amount spent on women's transfers, remember that these are agents' fees, has exceeded one million dollars for the first time, which is, in, is indicative of the growth um, as far as you know, the sport is concerned, and, and that's why you, you're getting uh, you know, more female agents, and you're getting. Uh, male agents representing female players and vice versa and so on. So the reason why I think Keep FIFA is, is keen to promote this is there is still, I think it is fair to say, beef between FIFA and uh, many agents uh, who have successfully defended their case with regards to FIFA's desire to have a cap on agents' fees. And, you know, my my view, and I'm not saying this because I, I acted as a as an expert witness on, on, on one of these cases, is um if, if people want to pay five percent or ten percent commission to an agent, then then do so. You know, nobody's forcing people to pay this level of commission. It's it's fairly standard. And if you talk to people in other sports, they say, Well, I don't actually have an issue with what my agent does. Yes, yeah. Would I rather keep one hundred percent of the money myself? Yes, but they do all the things that I don't want to do. Yeah, you know, they negotiate the contracts, they arrange for you know the 
the, the interviews where, where, where you're going to get a fee. They'll, they'll, they'll help me in terms of intellectual property rights and so on. And you know, the, the reason why people get accountants to do their tax returns because they don't want to do themselves and they pay them a fee. And, and that's, yeah, it's, it's the way that business works. Mm. I think the reason, Kieran, or one of the reasons people see agents as a pantomime villain is a, is a person who some of our younger listeners will never have heard of, and that's Eric Hall, who was a pantomime villain. Yes. Essentially, he reveled in being a pantomime villain, uh, an agent in the late 80s, and through the, the man, incidentally, used to, he was responsible for the Sex Pistols going on a Today programme and swearing all over the place. He was doing their oh, PR at the time. Oh, wow. He was, yeah. But he, um, he used to smoke the big cigars. He had the catchphrase, monster, monster. But he was the first agent to realise the money to be made out of the Premier League for, for players. So he, he took on a lot of players around that time and, and charged a lot of people a lot of money to get access to those players and, and revelled in it. So I think I think he, um, uh, he did a disservice to all those decent agents. Uh, well, I say all those decent agents. Let's not pretend... They are all decent, Kieran. We, there's there's some decent agents that we know. Yeah, there's also a couple of proper wrong ones. I mean, we, there's yeah, the, you could say that about every world, Kieran, well, couldn't you? Yeah. Um, you know, there's probably there's probably even some accountants, Kieran, that you could could point to and think they're they're, they're probably not on Santa's <laughs> not nice list. I'm Steve Lamack and every week I'm joined by Music Allies Head of Insight Stuart Dredge on The Price of Music, the weekly podcast all about the money behind the music industry. In each episode we discuss the very latest goings on in the music business and dig into the finances behind the big stories. So whether you're a music lover who just wants to know more about what really goes on in the industry or you're an aspiring musician, manager or label owner who wants some inside knowledge on how Spotify's financial model really works or what the future holds for independent live music venues, this is a show for you. Subscribe to The Price of Music in your podcast app now. See you soon. This next story, Kieran, you announced this. It only just broken during the our Christmas quiz the other night, and it, it got a cheer. It got a cheer from the assembled throng and many, many thumbs-up emoticons, and it concerns our old friend uh, Dai Yong. Yes. Um, again, failing to uh, adhere to an agreed arrangement with the EFL. Um, so this is the owner of Reading Football Club. He owns a £15 million mansion in that part of London, should we say. Um, so clearly uh, a, a very successful person, um, but either cannot or will not uh, uphold his responsibilities as an owner of Reading Football Club. And therefore the EFL um, charged him. Um, Reading the independent commission who upheld the case, um, I think two things came through. First of all, the EFL wanted him to be banned from football for a period of 12 months. The commission disagreed with that. They said, you know, we, we want him out of football, but the best way to get him out of football is to get him to sell the football club. And just failing the owners and directors test doesn't actually achieve that. So, so clearly that there was a conflict in terms of the ambitions of the EFL and, and, and the perception of the council. And, and secondly, um, 
the, the, the independent commission was pretty underwhelmed by his contribution, um, which was, again, was, don't really care, mate. Yeah, I'm a billionaire, so well, why should you bother? So he has been given a, a, nom yeah, a nominal fine. I think it's around about 50 grand with some more, which has been suspended. I can't remember the exact amount, but for a billionaire, you know, it's, it, it's not it's not going to move the goalposts. So uh, yeah, there's an element of it being seen as you, you have to have some form of punishment. And you know, we've also had this discussion when it comes to football clubs themselves who are owned by billionaires. If you give the football club a financial penalty to you know to a sovereign wealth fund, it, it makes no difference. So therefore, it doesn't act as a disincentive, doesn't act as a deterrent, um, and, and therefore that's why they've gone down alternate routes. The problem for the commission is that the only alternative was to give him a ban, and, and they, yeah, I think they thought about it long and hard. They weren't impressed by Dayonga, um, but they felt he was probably not going to achieve um, any progress. And, and progress, in, in the case of Reading, is is finding a new owner who is not William Story. Mm. Uh, Two things, Kieran. Firstly, just to clarify for those uh, tens of thousands of our listeners who didn't take part in the, the Christmas quiz when we spoke about this. So this this is an individual fine against Dai Yong. This is not a fine against Reading Football Club. And and secondly, if they had banned him from football as they were as the EFL wanted, how does that act as an incentive for him to keep funding the club? I mean, would they expect him to still keep funding the club but just not go to games? Would that be the would, yeah, is that meant to be, or, or is that meant to force him into selling the club? I, I think potentially the latter. He doesn't attend games anyway. You know, he's, he's right. Okay, he's been okay, once okay, or twice. Right. Full stop. Um, oh, right, very okay. much the very much an absentee owner. Um, I think that you know, in terms of, but yeah, but these people are very proud. Yeah, it would it would have been an embarrassment. So they could have threatened to say, right, if you, if you don't if you don't do this X, Y, and Z, by you're going to get a ban. And I think that could have been an alternative. Um, but uh, it, it was very much a case of what can we do in order to get him out of the game? Because initially, when he first acquired Reading Football Club, he put his money. He didn't even he didn't put he didn't ever even put his mouth anywhere. He just put huge amounts of money into the club with the ambition of getting into the Premier League. That didn't work out. The uh, the culture of the Chinese Communist Party, the philosophy was we don't actually like this idea of conspicuous consumption, you know, in terms of extension of soft power, which effectively we're now seeing from, from other uh, na national bodies. And the Chinese government sort of lost enthusiasm for football. And I think that's been reflected in the, the reluctance of uh, the Chinese uh, authorities to release funds from China, um, which can then be used to, to pay the, the bills and so on here in the UK. And just to clarify, this is a personal fine, isn't this, it? This not... is personal, yeah. Yeah, yeah so, okay. Yeah. Uh, a little bit further west, Kieran, we find the other club and owner being charged by the EFL this week. Yes, so um, this is Swindon. This is time. It's it's the club. It's Swindon Town and the majority owner Clem Morfuni, who's from Australia. Um, they've been charged by the EFL, and uh, it, this has come about following a post by the football club at Company's House. So, oh, as you see, that, yeah, yeah, okay. I, was, I was 
can imagine how much I was high-fiving Finley when, when I saw this <laughs> one particularly come out. <laughs> he had no idea why I was so giddy. Um, well, also, Kieran, just I'm sorry to interrupt, but Finley did not look happy when you responded to a request from some of our Christmas quiz participants to, to get him to wave to the camera when you picked him up. He gave you a look that I can only describe as, if you ever do that again, you're going to be missing a digit. <laughs> <laughs> yes, he wasn't wasn't impressed. Um, so how has this come about? Well, under EFL rules, as far as the owners and directors test is concerned, um, if you own more than 10% of the shares in a football club, the EFL have to be advised and they will do some background checks. So it's going, you know, when, does an, when does ownership start, in effect? Um, so this was the case. And there, there's a bit of a backstory. Um, yeah, I, I've said that in the case of failing clubs, they're either idiots or scumbags. Um, in the case of Clement and Forney, I, I think I can only describe him as, as naive. Um, he didn't realise just how expensive it was to run a football club. Um, the financial demands on him were were greater than, than his ability to, to, to provide those resources. And therefore, he effectively borrowed money um, to uh, to help fund the club. And in addition, there was a loan which was taken out by Swindon Football Club in relation to the previous owner, where the previous owner called it in. So cash needed to be found quickly. Um, what Clem Morfuni did, he says, right, what I'll do, I'll give you some, I'll give one of the lenders some shares as a sort of collateral and so on. This wasn't uh, communicated to the EFL, so there is a breach of the rules. Things are not great at Swindon. They're not terrible, but they're not great either. Um, you know, we're hearing too many stories coming through the coming through the uh, the, the ether. Uh, just you know, things which make you slightly twitchy. Um, so, so it is a unfortunately, it's it's a it's a club which is back on our watch list. Um, I think he is he's a guy with like many of these people had good intentions, but just the sheer gravitas and uh, scale of the challenges of running a football club are proving to be pretty tough for him. It, it, it's a, it's a real sh- it's a shame that we're talking about any club that's in trouble, Kieran. But it's a real shame because we followed the previous Swindon Town story when they were in in big trouble and the fans were very unhappy, and we followed the the progress of Clem Morfuni taking over the club, and we all thought at the time that it was a good thing that he seemed like a decent a decent guy, but as you say, just possibly not realizing the problems in in too deep. So. It's with great regret that we say we'll Swindon a club. We'll keep an eye on again in the in the future. Our next three stories, Kieran, uh, all relate to the legal industry at some level or another. Um, the first one, it's a source of uh, I was going to say wry amusement amongst fans of other South London clubs that Millwall have had the name of an, an organic, essentially Ponzi chocolate emblazoned across the front of their shirts. Which is it's it's hard to take a a, a spitwell flecked middle aged man shouting obscenities at you during an FA Cup game. It's, it's it's harder to take them seriously when he's got an organic chocolate blazing across the front of his shirt. 
But um, Mill have fallen out with their shirt sponsor to quite a considerable degree by the look of it, Kerry. Yes. Um, again, if you uh, if you get daily updates from the law courts in relation to various cases, uh, which which you you can subscribe to, by the way. I'm not saying that you know, perhaps one person on this conversation might be on that subscription, and one might not. Um, <laughs> Uh, one 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 didn't even know it existed until <laughs> <laughs> just this moment, Kieran. <laughs> um, and I but, like the fact we, we sound like the royal family there. One didn't know it existed. <laughs> one was too busy spunking nine million pound on cars that didn't turn up. <laughs> so yes, um, Millwall have filed a lawsuit against shirt sponsors Husky Chocolate. Now we don't know the details of this. Um, but looking at similar relationships, I know Huddersfield had one in relation to one of their sponsors and they had to go down a similar route. Um, it's likely to be that Husky Chocolate haven't paid the agreed instalments on the agreed date. Millwall have asked politely. Millwall have probably asked less than politely. And now the only course of action is to go through is, is, is the legal one. Um yeah, it, 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 I agree with you. It's a strange. I don't, you, I don't think you can buy husky chocolate in the UK. Which oh, okay. Uh, uh, I've I've I've, I've, I've never seen it, and, and and I shop at Waitrose, um, so you know it's not there. Where else could it be if it's going to be? But you know, um, but somebody told me that it wasn't available. So that's where we are. Um, you know, Millwall in a in a tougher position than they'd like to be following the sad passing of their owner uh, earlier this year so you know they're, they're they're having to batten down the hatches and and you know act in a in a you know, more cautious manner in terms of what they can spend um so to have this is it's just added aggravation when you don't need it yeah it, it it's a shame that they are having to as you say um retrench a little bit financially because they do fantastic work in the community mm. around Mill, an area that you know for all we make jokes about Bermondsey becoming very upmarket these days which it has is an area of great economic deprivation around the new den and Mill will do a very good job of of helping those people I, I still every time I see that shirt I still just imagine trying to tell Terry Herlock that he's got to wear a shirt with <laughs> it's got a milky way on it Terry put just put the shirt on I'm not having milky way on. um one former club owner, Kieran, is wanted by the police. Yes, this is Glenn Tamplin. Um, Glenn Tamplin, sort of a, a few years ago, I think it's fair to say he was what you might describe as darling of the tabloids. Um, wow. Once, once apparently, he was deemed to be the second most influential person in Essex. Wow, the second most. Quite second most. Yeah. yeah wow. I think After Mark Wright, I presume was. um and for people don't who don't know who glenn tamplin is he 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 made his success in the steel industry he therefore bought billericay town football club which is based in essex he decided he wanted the club to be successful so the club lost a lot of money he he signed players like jermaine pennant uh, Jermaine Pennant is, uh, has had a, an interesting career. If, if you're interested in that type of thing, um, there's, there's a couple of um, there's a couple of podcasts, the likes of Under the Cosh. Um, that's very good. I think he's been on that. Uh, he's also been on the Upshot. 
um, as just a a person that has has lived a life uh, which the tabloids love. And some of the stories are uh, they cannot be condoned, but they were they are jaw droppingly good grief moments. Um, so yeah, Glenn Templin. Uh, he appointed himself manager. He, there was a very interesting mural at Billericay Town. Um, he was once paying, by all accounts, he was paying the wages of Jamie O'Hara in cash. And he uh, he dropped by at Jamie O'Hara's uh, house um, where Jamie O'Hara's fiancé was um, and indulged in a conversation along the lines of, you can do better than him. Um, <laughs> Which, uh, which actually brings back very bad memories for me, because uh, six weeks before uh, myself and the Baroness tied tied the knot, um, I was working in Cyprus, and one of my mates, no, no, one, one of the person who I thought was one of my close mates, came round and said exactly the same thing to her, saying that I am, I I was one dimensional, which which I cannot deny. Um, and and that there was a better alternative standing in front of her, uh, so yeah, that was that was a bit awkward to put it mildly. <laughs> so uh, yeah, that's that's so I've got something in common with Jamie O'Hara, which I never thought I'd say. Yeah, this is this has taken a really weird uh, turn now. <laughs> so much so that I've forgotten why Glenn Templin is wanted by the police. Literally, a, a tiny Tim tear trickling down my cheek while you told that. Terribly sad story. Uh, even though you won, and yet why is why is Glenn Tamplin wanted by the police? Was it a really bad mural? It, it, well, it's it, it's to do with with two issues, um, both involving the letter C. Um, the first is to do with community orders, um, for for reasons best known to um, Glenn Tamplin. He he was arranging for up to eight. Um, big lorries a day to be dumping waste in his in the grounds of his house, which was the grounds are quite big. I think there's something like fifteen hundred tons of waste, and as you can imagine, the neighbours weren't particularly impressed. So the local council sort of said, uh, this, "This appears to be sort of some sort of waste disposal business you've got here, where you're just using your back garden." as the place for the waste to be disposed, and we'd rather you stop that. Uh, I don't think he necessarily complied with that. And uh, the, the other the other issue, I can only use the word cocaine. Um, ah. I don't know why. I don't know whether he's written a bad song about it, whether <laughs> he's, he knows people that might have heard of it. I don't know if it was a, it was a quiz answer on, a, on 15 to 1. Or I, I don't know what was going on. But uh, that's all. That's all it says in the article. Community, community uh, uh, issues and cocaine. That would be the episode of fifteen to one. I'd love to see and uh, the circumstances <laughs> in which co- in that which that was an answer to a question on fifteen to one. Our last um, legal issue, Kieran. Um, this probably was a, a lucky escape for Sheffield United fans, but we spoke. Um, and we tended to speak with a smile on our face when we spoke about this chap, Dozy Mumbrosi, the Nigerian businessman who, whose bid to take over Sheffield United never seemed to be serious, but he got a lot of tabloid inches out of it. Uh, he's been charged this week. 
Yes, um, Dozy was in charge of a company called Tingo. Now, I mean, to be fair, uh, you know, there's a lot of people, the likes of uh, you know, Martin Calladine, uh, Philippa Clare, and, and so on, who who are good at being forensic and doing some background checks. Um, so, so Dozy uh, Wobosi, um, he had in theory, an airline, although upon further inspection, um, what appeared to be on the airline's website was an, uh, an aircraft belonging to another airline where he'd photoshopped out the name of that airline and stuck Tingo <laughs> Airlines. Uh, he also claimed to have 8 million farmers in Nigeria using his applications or his apps Um and when people turn, they go, well, nobody's, nobody seems to have heard of you. Um, and then when it came to his accounts, he claimed to have £461 million in cash in the bank wow. account. Further investigation was that he had less than $50. So that's about £461 million less than he was claiming to have. Um, it's good to see that Deloitte signed off the audit. In the clean audit. Well done, Deloitte. <laughs> all, all good then. Nothing to see here. <laughs> so yeah, going back to what you were saying earlier. Oh, there's some accountants that take a fairly relaxed view. Um, so so that wasn't uh, that wasn't particularly good. Um, and and now he's been uh, he's been charged with fraud. I mean, this, yeah, the very fact that this got into the Financial Times is, is indicative of the extent we are talking hundreds of millions of dollars worth of fraud, fictitious websites, properties which don't exist, you know, the, the full works. Um, and he's not the first person to end up in that situation. You know, we've, we've got the owner of Fleetwood Town, who's who's in prison at present for fraud. We have, of course, uh, Chris Kirchner, uh, who was trying to buy Derby County. Why are these people attracted to football? I can't go into too much detail, but football is is a very attractive industry for for money laundering because it involves you know, international money transfers, it involves cash, and so on. And there is an attraction. This this would you know, buying Sheffield United it wouldn't have worked anyway because you know, the scale of the numbers is is far in excess of the company, the club's turnover. But it just shows the the insanity of uh, the attractiveness of the industry. Much as it makes me chuckle, Kieran, when you start to zing other accountants, I like it. I like it when accountants start zinging each other, uh, like the, like the end of a Quentin Tarantino film when all the accountants just start shouting amortization obscenities at each other. But surely, if Deloitte signed off those accounts, why are there no ramifications for Deloitte if if they were quite clearly fraudulent accounts? Well, you know, fraudulent. They've been charged with fraud. That's not the same as being found guilty, Kevin. Uh, you know, the, the, the lawyers uh, will say it enough. depends. Yeah. Um, <laughs> everybody can make a rounding error. <laughs> a, a couple of clubs in trouble. It's, it's almost inappropriate to laugh going into these two news stories. A, a couple of clubs in big trouble, Kieran. Um, but the first have, have found an unusual way to try and get out of that trouble. Yes, this is um, Masker United, uh, based in 
uh, Redcar, based in the northeast. They're in the Northern Premier League. Um, they've they've had a bit of a fallout with the Football Association, and they are now sort of living not from day to day, from hour to hour. Um, so what they've done is they set up a, a crowdfunding campaign, um, trying to raise, I think, one hundred and twenty thousand um, pounds, in in order to allow people in in the nearby district to to have somewhere to go on on a Saturday, which we've always said, you know, the idea of community football and so on is is really important. Yes, the club could have been run a bit better. Um, they are they have a match. This weekend, um, so yeah, if anybody is is up in that region and and fancies going along, I think it's uh, uh, two. You know, you, you can buy cheaper tickets. Um, you can contribute if you want to go on to um, you know just giving for for Masker United. The local MPs got involved. The local newspapers got involved, and people will say, well, yeah, the, if, if Masker United doesn't exist, the world will keep turning. But that's the case for all of us. Um, so you know, if anybody can help, um, the club is trying to rearrange its corporate setup uh, in order to be compliant with some of the rules set by the FA. But that won't be sorted until the end of the season. And therefore, I think they're looking for anybody who can contribute to to help out um, to, to allow people to go and watch football but it's it's community football you know the, the, the standard is the standard is, is 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 the standard is fun i remember when we had covid and remember we were allowed to attend non-league matches and, and i started to go to some on a on a tuesday and wednesday night because there's nothing yeah, there's nothing to do during lockdown and clearly you're outside so therefore the risk of contamination was deemed to be that much lower you were, you were limited in terms of crowds and to see people sliding in on you know, ten year ten yard tackles and then inviting the bench of the opposition out in the car park afterwards, it made you realise actually that perhaps you know traditional football has become a bit too sanitised. Mm. Uh, my father-in-law, uh, God bless him and God rest his soul, uh, had for his entire life the most wonderful northeastern accent, and it was a part of the world that through him I've come to. Uh, no, I love, and he used to pronounce. I can't do it justice, but this this next team, the way he used to pronounce North Shields, was absolutely wonderful. But they are in a dire situation this week, Kieran, aren't they? Yes. So again, you know, could this be the last match that the club ever plays? That's if the club does play. Uh, I think some people have already, some players have started to go. You know, so North Shields again. It's it's. Uh, in a region of of the country where the, there isn't a lot of spare cash, but you know, show me anywhere in the country at present where where that's not the case. Um, and like many clubs, living from day to day, um, it's it's in a genuine chance of going out of business. And people will say, well, "There's so much money in the Premier League. There's so much money here and there." Um, and, and I I understand that. It, it's still down to individual clubs to take responsibility for the way that they conduct themselves as well. So. Um, don't don't want to see it happen, um, and you just hope that you know there'll be there'll be buckets, there will be there'll be GoFundMe's, you know there there will be a variety of things which will just hopefully get the club through. Um, the, the concern is you know players who are or semi pro, they they've got families, they've got bills to pay. If they've not been paid this month's wages, then they're entitled to move away, and all of a sudden you know 
the football's not worth watching because you end up paying the, playing the kids and, the, and you're getting stuffed each week. So it, it can become a, a fairly vicious cycle for clubs under those circumstances. We've just got to hope that you know somehow we, we get through. And, and we've said on many occasions that there's all of this. It's, it's a bit like the NHS. You know, we, we, we're constantly talking about the NHS in crisis. We're constantly talking about football in crisis. You, you tend to muddle through just about... Um, and what, what always amazes me is actually the number of casualties is so low. Is there any particular reason we know Kieran why North Shields FC have come to this or is it just a general downturn in circumstances? It, it's, you know, gate receipts are down. You, know, you, you you set a budget which was perhaps a bit too ambitious and you, and, and you, and you, you, you're signing checks that your bank account can't pay. In effect. Mm. Uh, um, our penultimate story, Kieran, is about an old mate of yours, and he's back. Well, yeah, I, just, I don't know why producer guy said he's an old mate of mine. This is this is Sean Harvey. Sean Harvey's been an advisor at Wrexham since the uh, since the acquisition by McElhenney and uh, by you know, Reynolds, and he's become a character on the Welcome <laughs> to Wrexham show. Yeah. Um, but um, yesterday, uh, or on Tuesday of this week, he he was appointed as a director of the club, and I mm. thought, blimey, O'Reilly, how, how can he? How can that possibly be the case? Because the EFL have beefed up their owners and directors test, um, and you know, I, I was aware that if uh, if an individual had been involved effectively in two football insolvency events then you couldn't be deemed to be an owner and director and this is why we see people being appointed as special advisors in order to circumvent the rules but, but, but Sean Harvey is now director. so I had to go into the EFL handbook and blimey O'Reilly um, for reasons which there appear to be no no background to this these rules came into being or the rules were set that if you were involved in two or more insolvency events, which took place um, from June 2004 onwards, that seems a strange random date. And for people who are not familiar with Sean Harvey, he was an executive of Bradford City Football Club when it went into administration twice. I think that was around about 1999-2000. He's also been involved um, at executive level at Leeds United when it's gone into administration twice. Um, one was in 2007 and the other was March 2004. So it's just the right side of the divide. Um, so therefore, he has uh, satisfied the rules and he can become a director. And, uh, uh, you know, I, I was at uh, the... Uh, the, the community day at Wrexham, you know, the the fans together day, which was, I think, in you know, ironically around about two thousand and four, two thousand and five, and and the the generosity of spirit of the Wrexham fans, which is is something which which I will you know cherish for many many a year. You know, we were just there with with banners. For, we we come up, you know, it wasn't even a coach load. It was it was two car loads of us from Brighton. And some fans from other clubs, and we went around, you know, solidarity with Wrexham because, you know, you, you know as well. We, we, we just, I won't, won't blow smoke up your backside, but 
fans from other clubs rallied around Brighton in 1996 and 1997 when we knew you out of business. And it's happened at Chester and it's happened at other clubs. So, so it is good to see that pure self-interest doesn't exist. Um, but yeah, it, it does seem uh, a bit strange because um, I also went on to um, the uh, DCMS website. And as you know, I, I can be a bit like a dog with a bone um, when, I've, when I've got something bugging me. And I went back into DCMS uh, presentations back to 2011 when Sean Harvey spoke. And um, I think uh, the, 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 the response from the panel to his comments, which uh, he said, uh, yeah, we, we, don't, we don't appear to know who, who owns Leeds United Football Club when I was there, um, didn't go down with it. I think the reaction, the reaction of one of the MPs was, um, your comments are accurate, but not informative. Yeah, that they were, uh, they were precise, shall we say? Um, and uh, Jeff, Jeffrey Boycott would have been very proud of Sean Harvey's responses in terms of giving a a, a front forward, flat back uh, defence to all the comments. Um, I don't think the MPs were, were over impressed. Um, you know, Sean Harvey's has introduced many innovations into football, including. Uh, having the or planning to have the draw of the Carabao Cup take place in the International Space Station. Which, <laughs> you know, that's, that, that is what you call thinking outside of the box. Literally, Kieran, thinking outside the planet. Yes. That's big thinking, isn't it? Really. I'd, 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 <laughs> for some bizarre reason, I don't know why, but Jamie and Harry Redknapp are doing the draw for the semi-final of the Carabao Cup tonight. I'd, <laughs> Uh, the only thing that would make that more entertaining is for them to be doing that in the International Space Station. Yes. I'd love to see. I'd love to see Jamie and Harry Redknapp floating weightlessly around, trying to get a ball, at, <laughs> trying to pick a ball out of a sack. Jamie would struggle to pick a ball out of a sack on <laughs> with with gravity, let alone without it. God love him. Um, it's Christmas coming up, Kieran. It's yeah, it's, it's the most wonderful time of the year. So how fitting that our last story is is one of goodwill, Kieran. It's one of relief and. I don't know how worried Lionel Messi was about paying his credit card bill this Christmas, but his worries are over, Kieran, which is great news for the rest of us. That's right. You know, uh, Argentina won the World Cup in uh, in Qatar in 2022. Um, if I'd scored in a winning World Cup, the one thing I would want to preserve would be the shirt. You know, they, they'd be they'd be on every wall. In, yeah, in the house, of course. Yeah, you know, you say this is the this is the one where I scored you know, in the World Cup final, but no, Lionel Messi has decided to put up his shirts for for sale. I think we, we discussed the, the the potential auction, and it's raised a total of seven point eight million dollars. Now these are for shirts that are less than twelve months old. Uh, you know, and, and, and I know it's you know, Harry Hodge made about ten million dollars from uh, Diego Maradona's Hand of God shirt. Yeah, yeah, that, that's that's 1982, and, and you know, it, was, it was a different time. Um, so he's yeah, all I think all of the shirts that he's worn uh, were put up for auction. Um, a, a proportion of the money is is going to a uh, a charitable trust uh, in Barcelona, which looks after uh, you know kids who have, who have been ill and and uh, who have made misfortune, which is absolutely fantastic. Um, I just can't understand the rationale for it as you say you know Lionel Messi is is an independently extremely wealthy uh elite brilliant fantastic athlete 
so, so why he's chosen to do it? You know, unless he's unless he's run out of walls in his house. I buy an ex- I, I build an extension. If that was yeah, that, personally. He, he, he must have plenty of walls. Surely Lionel Messi's can't be short of walls, can he? Or mantelpieces for the awards. I don't. I don't know who Harry Hodge is, Kieran. I presume you meant Steve Hodge, but I believe Harry Hodge was uh, had a walk-on part in the first Carry On film. But um, <laughs> we'll leave it. Thank you to everyone who's donated to the pod via our Patreon page. If you'd like to make a small monthly contribution to the pod, that'd be very kind of you. It'll get you access to our chat community and our regular quizzes. You can do that by going to patreon.com slash priceoffootball. If you have a question you'd like answered on the show, email us at questions at priceoffootball.com. If you'd like to buy our book or one of our other books or get yourself a Price of Football t-shirt, you can find details on our website, priceoffootball.com. We do actually have a show, Kieran, on Christmas Day, but I'm going to be cross if any of you people listen to it. Really, do Christmas. Don't listen to our show on Christmas Day. So I'm going to say Merry Christmas and a Happy Holiday to all of you now. And uh, until that show on Christmas Day, which you're not to listen to, I shall hand you over to Mr. Kieran Maguire for his customary farewell. Personally, if I was peeling the peeling the potatoes on on the Morton Christmas Day morning, what what better company? What better company could there be than than a Q and A with with Maguire and Day? <laughs> Yeah, talking talking about <laughs> talking about contract extensions in football in League Two. Um, uh, Alan, all that, I want, Alan, jo- Alan Jones is the only company I want on Christmas Day. It's peeling the sprouts. It drives Ali. It, it drives Ali up the wall. <laughs> Ali tolerates my love of Christmas, but having classic FM blaring out while I'm doing Christmas stuff, Christmas morning, just literally to cut that off. <laughs> I, I've I've seen Ali's patient looks towards you as well. Kevin, so I, can, I can imagine. I can imagine. It, it might not be a wise Christmas, but it'll be below zero in the day household. If he's got Ali Jones singing away. Um, thank you again for everybody who came along to the quiz. Um, we had a lot of fun. Um, hope it wasn't too rude uh, for, for the small people who were attending. Um, if you want to support the show patreon you know, where you can get the advert free version of the podcast is is available for a small monthly fee and so on but there's another way you can support the show and that's to give us a review uh, it genuinely makes a difference uh, because of the algorithms that apple and spotify use um, it's a bit like if you put things on youtube if you put them on regularly then then you tend to go higher up the charts for reasons that nobody can navigate um, so you can say whatever you want you could even say you would rather have the show presented by Glenn Tamplin and Sean Harvey from the International Space Station. And I would certainly <laughs> listen to that. I'm not, I'm not sure that Sean would give much contribution. He'd probably give a flat back, back answer. But I, I, I think just for, for curiosity fact, um, and uh, yeah, Glenn, Glenn Tamplin, yeah, if, perhaps that's where he is. Perhaps he's actually you know, in training to become an astronaut. And that's why the police can't find him. Much more difficult to arrest somebody, I imagine, in weightless circumstances than it is under normal. Yes. There'll be some poor sort of a PC going, oh, what are you doing? Uh, well, I'll tell you what you're doing now. You're going to the National Space Station to arrest the ex-owner of <laughs> Billy Ricky Town. Oh, really, Sarge? Bye, everybody. Bye. The price of football.
that provides some football.